Hi. Hi. I'm Navin Anbhat. And I'm Lauren K. Nixon. And you're listening to TLDR History is Weird. Today's theme is education. And because we've got a lot to say about this, it's going to be a two-parter. So this is part one. Yeah. So how, how was your week? Yeah, not bad. Um, I've got a cold, which you can probably tell from my voice. The same cold as I've had for about three weeks. Um, I started listening. I'm doing some uh, research for a new project. Hmm. Um, oh. Because, like, I need another project. <laughs> the seven I'm already doing. Um, so I'm reading a lot of ghost stories set in Maine um, for uh-huh. research, which led me to this podcast called Snap Judgment Presents Spooked, which is people telling go- their own personal ghost stories. And it's so scary. <laughs> it's oh. so good. The chap who does it, well, mm-hmm. I mean, the whole team who do it, they take the stories people send in, recordings of themselves telling stories, and then they edit them to give them pacing and suspense and sound effects and stuff. Oh, it's so good. It's so scary. Oh, like, I had to sleep with the lights on last night. <laughs> 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 how, about, how about you? Um, The IPL has started, so mm. I've been watching cricket every evening. Uh, nice. That's, yeah, that's the only new in the, in my life right now <laughs> but uh, anyway so yeah <laughs> education <laughs> yes <laughs> i think it's it's this topic is uh, there yeah. are a lot of similarities to what we discussed when we were when we already made an episode on uh, writing and language language yeah. and writing so it was i think episode four was uh, we focused on writing systems and all that so it's a yeah it's a lot similar because education in like the formal term uh, is more synonymous with uh, literacy and learning to read and write yeah i i found I think, a lot of common references uh, i think it's because it's tied up with bureaucracy as soon as you have a society where you need bureaucracy you get writing and as soon as you get writing and a need for it you get people teaching the next generation to write yeah that's true I started from, I don't know if you've heard the phrase, uh, standing on the shoulders of giants, mm-hmm. which is a metaphor about how we build our understanding of the world based on learning from those who've gone before us. Yeah. So each generation's knowledge becomes the foundation for the next generation. Mm-hmm. And I was wondering where that phrase comes from. Because often, you know, you go, oh, that's a, that's a common English phrase. Yeah. I wonder where it's from. Oh, Shakespeare. Um, <laughs> but actually, <laughs> this one's older. That's something I would definitely do. Yeah. The 16th century was a powerhouse for modern English phrases, I have to say. <laughs> from loads of different plays. <laughs> yeah, it's always that one guy, right? Yeah, yeah. the one with the rough. <laughs> but yeah, this this one was originally, as far as we know, originally written by uh, Bernard of Chartres. Hmm. And it was famously used by Isaac Newton in 1675 when okay. he said, if I have seen further, it is by standing on the shoulders of giants. But the original was wow. Nanos Gigantum Humoris Incidentes, which means dwarfs can see further when sitting on the shoulders of giants. Mm-hmm. And the idea is that actually he was he was sort of dissing the cathedral schools of the time. <laughs> he, he was saying they are effective, but they're only effective because of everything that's come before. But what it's come to mean is that progression of learning. So I quite like the fact that a guy who was dissing a form of formal education has been sort of used to characterize all of learning <laughs> for like the last 800 years. <laughs> Um, but I, I'm, I'm I'm still uh, <laughs> uh, wondering who Newton thought of uh, as giants. For most of modern physics, Newton is that giant <laughs> uh, mm. uh, on whom we all stand. <laughs> yeah, because oh, this, he this. he he pioneered what calculus, the laws of physics, and everything that physics and math mm. up- progressed after him. So I'm curious to know who he considered as giants. Oh, there'll be there'll be loads of names that i can't currently think of (laughs) (laughs) like i've read loads of books on this but they've just got all gone from my head but he had quite a classical education so i'm guessing he had uh, not only more modern and renaissance scientists and thinkers he was also thinking of ancient greek and ancient roman okay scientists and also back then education was more about more philosophical so Mm. so so you read ideas and then you were encouraged to develop your own. Yeah, it was the philosophy of science. Yeah, compared to modern education, like, I mean, I know we we, we already dissed a lot uh, in the the ending of episode eight, uh, <laughs> but still, <laughs> most of current education is, you know, where we already, we read fixed concepts put down in mm. textbook form. But yeah, anyway, continue, please continue. Well, so the phrase got me thinking about... Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
It got me thinking about a story I heard on QI a while ago, and I, I've been promising all week to tell you a story about killer whales vomiting. Yes. And this is my moment. <laughs> so a few years ago, probably quite a few years ago now, because uh, it's a while since I saw the story, some naturalists were observing a pod of orcas, and they saw this one orca throw up, mm-hmm. and its vomit floated in front of it, and it backed off. And these seabirds came down, and then you saw the orca go, oh, right. And then he ate the seabirds. Hmm. And then a few days later, you know, they'd never seen this before. This was new to them, as new to them as it was to the orca. A few days later, they saw him do it again. But this time he wasn't alone. He had the rest of his pod nearby, Hmm. and they all watched as the birds came down, and Hmm. then they hunted the birds. And then about a week after that, other members of the pod started doing it. So he'd sort of, he taught, he passed on this skill. Yeah. Wow. Which is, I guess, is the basis of all learning is you you figure something out and you show the people around you. Yeah. So there's a there's a difference between learned behavior and choosing to pass information on, which you see in the animal kingdom mm. uh, in how we can train animals to perform tricks and get them to work with us and for us. Yeah. Encourage good behavior, discourage inconvenient behavior. Mm. The capacity to teach and learn is not solely human, but what is human possibly is the breadth of language yeah. that we use to do it. Mm. When you think about the earliest skills that might be passed on mm. using language rather than just using demonstration, yeah. um, it's got to be really early tool use. Um, yeah. We like to label ourselves the thinking ape, Homo sapiens, but tool use predates our species. Mm. Um, stone tools found from 2011 and 2014 at Lake Turkana in Kenya have been dated to 3.3 million years ago, uh, mm. years old, sorry, and they predate the genus Homo, by one million years. Yeah. So for a million cool. years before, not just our species, but even like the entire genus we belong to, hmm. people were wandering about using tools and teaching other people to use tools. So when you find a, a tool use or a tool production area, you find flakes, you know, little flakes of flint uh, or whatever stone that they're using in that region, which is the cast off from when you're shaping something. Hmm. And you find ones where the stone is broken, because sometimes you get a stone with a flaw in it and it hasn't shaped quite the way they wanted it to, so they discard it and they start again. And sometimes you find areas where you get more of the discards. And the way we think about it is that's that's an area where there's been a school. Hmm. On a small scale, yeah. that has been someone teaching someone else or several someone else's or several someone's teaching several someone else's. This is how you do it. Yeah. So the stone tools that I mentioned before were probably made by Australopithecus afarensis or Kenyan... Hang on. Kenyan... Kenyanthropus hmm. platyops. I should have read that before I tried to say it. So th- th- <laughs> this is a uh, species of... Primate? Yeah. Um, okay. Tool using primates that predate us. A 3.2 to 3.5 million year old Pliocene hominin fossil of that species was discovered in 1999. And the species whose best fossil example is Lucy. So if you've heard of Lucy, the pre-human hominin, that's her. Yeah, okay. Now, now I think of it, I've I've heard of, uh, but I am also imagining the picture I, I saw, I think on somewhere on social media or mm. when I was browsing the internet. Yes, I have. But I, I, I was not aware of the species she's from. Mm. Nice, nice. We, we also, we found, I mean, she's not the only example we have of early hominid. There was another female called Silam. We call her Silam. Obviously, okay. we don't know what her actual name was because <laughs> that would be insane. <laughs> Uh, she was a, an Australopithecus afarensis girl, and she lived about 3.3 mu- million years ago in Dikika in Ethiopia. Mm-hmm. And near where we found her remains, we found grooved, cut and fractured animal fossil, animal bone fossils mm-hmm. and tools. Um, so we know that her community was using these tools and presumably passing that knowledge on. Yeah. Now, the earliest stone tools in our species, or rather in our genus, in the Homo genus, mm. uh, are the Olduin uh, industry tools from the Olduvai Gorge in Tanzania. Mm. These date from around 2.6 million years ago, which is during the Lower Paleolithic period. And after about then, it's sort of you see it spread through much of Africa, 
though we don't know which hominin species initially developed them, you can see it spreading through different contexts that we know that have different genuses living in. Mm. So they didn't just stay with one specific part of the yeah, genus, yeah. which suggests communication yeah. and either learning, from example, between the groups or direct communication and knowledge transfer. teaching. Yeah. yeah. I sort of, when I was looking that up, I was thinking maybe what actually is the thing that sets us apart is that ability to teach across boundaries of communication yeah i mean you you do you do see that in animals to a certain extent because my cat has absolutely trained me to follow him to whatever it is he needs to tell me (laughs) so he will come and meow at me and he will take me to the front door or to his food bowl or to his toy depending on what it is he wants from me Mm -hmm. so he is he has learned he has taught me to do this behavior but i think with the tool use there's an element of you can sort of feel that they probably talked about it like talked about what methods work better yeah. And maybe if you you hold the grip your grip this way, it works better. If you turn the hammer stone you're using to do the shaping around a bit, you know, you sort of mm-hmm. get that feeling that, that that was sort of the earliest form of teaching. Yeah. But as we were saying earlier, literacy is really where it sort of kicked off, particularly I think in Mesopotamia. Yeah. I mean, I, I was I was thinking too. This is and I think I also one an incident that I mentioned on this podcast before uh, about the monkeys in Delhi uh, during the summer, mm. I told you, they yeah. were, yeah, where they are smart enough to uh, come in and uh, they know they know how to open the refrigerator and they know that there are fruits and water and everything that is stored in the refrigerator. They would open it and, and then people in the house, especially like, like mom, she would lock the refrigerator. Refrigerators have used mm. to come with this key. But then you take them for granted, right? Like, okay, now, now that I locked it, when they do that motion, it doesn't open and then we have defeated them. But then <laughs> you kind of get, uh, what's, what's the word? Uh, complacent? Complacent. Yes. Complacent. Yeah. yeah. So my mom left the key in the fridge because you don't t- take them to be that smart to <laughs> also learn how to, you know, do the unlocking mechanism. Yeah. Uh, so it's like each time put the key in the keyhole, do that. So to save time, leave the key just to lock it and leave the key there. Uh, yeah. But then they watch from the window. <laughs> They watch the humans. So they learn. They learn that as well. Uh, it's like the velociraptors in Jurassic Park. Yes. <laughs> so they not just learned. They were able to communicate to their peers yeah. by showing. And they learned by imitations. If we have to continuously evolve to keep beating them. <laughs> yeah. So from now, it's a con- co- continuous contest <laughs> between uh, human and monkey every summer. It's, it's like uh, teaching and learning our instincts almost. Yeah. And the other thing I, I, I remembered was uh, the examination for kindergarten mm. uh, in, in schools because kids, of course, haven't learned to read and write the alphabet and stuff like that at that age. So I don't know if what culture you have in Britain, but in India, at least, or at least the school that we went to, me and my mm. sister, the entrance exam in was they would test the motor and communication skills of the kid. Uh, mm. To judge whether they are okay fit to be oh it's just it's age. literally okay. just age <laughs> oh okay but for Everybody us usually it. there's an interview it's your uh, first one yeah it's yeah first one <laughs> so in my case of course I don't have any recollection of it uh, this is from mm. what my parents have told me over the years is <laughs> I was asked for what is the color of the trousers I was wearing the other one was I was offered a a, a plate of biscuits mm. and I had to say thank you so they mm. checked for manners and stuff whether my parents taught me so uh, and I was wow. very shy <laughs> so I, I took <laughs> but for my sister uh, the test was she was handed a banana and mm. they observed how she peels it that's really interesting so I yeah mean... so it's like <laughs> the test you would always uh, normally um, do on primates <laughs> but you, you do it on <laughs> on uh, uh, two year or two between two and three year old kids to test their motor skills and their manners and stuff Uh, i mean maybe that's changed since i was a kid but uh i mean i don't think my nephews had to do anything like that they're um they'll be turning eight this year so they've been in school for a few years okay um i think child's learning progress is assessed but it's it's less of 
less sort of a formal entrance interview type thing and more sort of, well, this is where they're to, so this is what we'll help them do first kind okay. of thing. Yeah. I think initially it's, it's just to see how much the the kid has learned in the first yeah. two years, three, three or two or three years in their home environment. Uh, yeah. So that if they do the absolute worst, suppose, and then for the teaching management, they kind of are not very confident that the kid will be able to adjust a in comparison to the other kids in the class so maybe yeah. they say give it give him or her another year or something so i yeah. guess that's the purpose of that interview but it's just something that <laughs> I, yeah. I like because at that age you can't even like you can't give them a formal like an iq test or, or anything <laughs> no. in, like a written kind of test so these are some of the inno- innovative means that you can test the yeah progress of the kid uh, so yeah, yeah. anyway <laughs> going back to uh <laughs> The ancient civilizations, I I just went far east, far west, sorry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, and I was like, okay, let's just zoom out and take a look at the world map and yep. go from the left. So I'm going to start with the Americas. Um, mm-hmm. So I'll start with the Mayans. So, these so that's, are, that's in the South America. The Mayans? Ma- oh, all three. Uh, at least the Incas are definitely South Americans. But the Mayans mm-hmm. and the uh, Aztecs were somewhere in in the middle, right? South um, Mes- Mexico. Mexico and Central, yeah. Yeah, cent- Central America. Yeah. Um, I think it goes to the what we define as civilization. And I mean, the European settlers did everything they possibly could do to, to get rid of any trace of ancient history <laughs> yeah 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 that, over there that, yeah um yeah so the first mayan city is developed around 750 bc and uh by 500 bc uh these cities had uh, architecture including temples mm. with uh, elaborate designs and stuff okay so hieroglyphic writings were used uh, by the mayans or at least mm. have been found to be used by the Mayans uh, by the 3rd century BC. And uh, the Mayan elite were literate and they developed a complex system of uh, hieroglyphic writing that was supposedly the most advanced. And then uh, the Mayans uh, recorded their history and ritual knowledge in books. Unfortunately, (laughs) only three of them survive because uh, the Spanish destroyed all of it. Yeah. Uh, But there are also examples of Mayan literature, like writing on uh, rocks and ceramics and stuff. Yeah, like petroglyphs and things. Yeah. So the Mayans developed a highly complex series of calendars. We know the Mayan calendar. (laughs) It's very famous. Uh, So from (laughs) that, we know that they had knowledge of astronomy and mathematics. Their calendars were had taken into account the lunar and the solar cycles. So it was pretty advanced uh, compared to the time uh, in history that they lived in. And also the their mathematics they use the base 20 and when i looked at their uh, mathematics symbols uh, and stuff it it's a very ancient uh, form of the tally system uh, All right. but at the ba- at base 20 so it's it's uh, it's very similar to the dots and dashes what the morse code <laughs> the morse code yes the tally system it's like one is one dot two is two dots so three is three and four. So four dots. You make four dots to say four. And when yeah. to, to say five, you just connect all the dots to make a line. Oh, yeah. So, so that, now, that's very much like a tally. Yeah. Yeah. So now it's five. And then you start uh, below it. You start six, seven, eight, nine. To make ten, you just uh, draw another line. So now it looks like an is equal to symbol. And that's yeah. ten. So and then you repeat that for from 11 to 15 until you have three lines and then you do it again. So four lines. Now it's a 20 and then you start over. So their system was base 20. And outside of the Indus Valley civilization, the only other uh, ancient civilization who had a knowledge of zero or the concept of zero. And uh, um, is is that why they were able to do such complex astronomical calculations then? Possibly. Yeah, Hmm. you're right. With the knowledge of zero also comes the ability to to calculate big numbers yeah. uh, at least the uh, the numbers at the astronomical scale that we say that is uh, yeah. when when we raise to the power <laughs> we just <laughs> we discussed this in a chat very recently uh, raising yeah. to the power it will it will surprise nobody at all that i am really bad at maths and occasionally i go what is this thing and nobody will go it's this why do you not know this <laughs> yeah 
<laughs> and it's very good to discuss order and uh, to the power and root and all this uh, mathematical yeah. terms very recently so all that so so the minds were capable of complex arithmetic anyway coming back to education the commoners were illiterate mm. and modern estimation says that 90% of the population was co- commoners yeah. uh, and the they had a very highly structured society yeah so the scribes were drawn from the elite and it is not known if all the members of the aristocracy could read and write but those who could read and write were from the noble class yeah school is out it's 4 pm <laughs> yep 3 yep someone just ran up the street going ah <laughs> yeah i could clearly they have homework <laughs> 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 Maybe it's maths homework. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Solidarity. Anyway, from the pictures or the pictorial art or anything anything mm-hmm. that is recovered from the time, uh, we know that at least some women could uh, read and write because there are pictures of women writing in the process. Mm. And uh, Maya Mayan scribes were called ajtazib, which means one mm. who writes and paints, writes or paints, sorry. Uh they were probably scribal schools where members of the aristocracy were taught to write. and uh, the evidence of this is supported by uh, dig that is in in copan that is i think in honduras if i'm not mistaken mm-hmm. i'm not sure i think it is in honduras that uh, sounds familiar uh, some junior members of the copan royal, royal dynasty have been found buried with their writing implements or supplements mm. or at least the accessories the pen and ink pots or stuff like they used to write uh, with uh, moving to aztecs aztecs are slightly more modern mm-hmm. civilization they dominated uh, central mexico during uh, 14th and 16th century so it's more recent like, uh, 600 500 600 years ago yeah. uh, these groups spoke the nahuatl language and uh, this language is still spoken but only about between 1 and 1.5 million people st- speak that language in central mexico as of today it's really it's incredible that it's one of those languages that survived yeah we were talking about dead languages the other week yeah yeah so in their system until the age of 14 the education of ch- children was in the hands of their parents they learned mm-hmm. at home and supervised by the authorities of the kalpoli i i don't know what exactly kalpoli is i could not but i'm thinking it's morely more something like a community like a community mm-hmm. leader and uh, part of this education involved learning a collection of sayings called hue hue tlatoli probably saying it wrong but <laughs> it means sayings <laughs> of the old uh, that yeah. embodied aztec ideals and uh, but judging from that's the so, language that's, that's sort of similar to um the chinese system the ancient chinese system i think yeah i'm coming to that as well later spoilers so, <laughs> judging by the language and the colloquialism yeah, yeah okay uh, most of these uh, sayings have seem to have evolved over several centuries because mm-hmm. even though they use it now the evolution is pretty noticeable and it predates predates the aztecs so it's mm. like other civilizations other cultures also had these things yeah like and, the olmecs and the toltecs yeah so until 14 they they learn at home at 15 uh, go, all boys and girls go to schools and the aztecs were one of the first people in the world to have man- mandatory education for all children regardless of gender rank or station huh. that was pretty amazing but <laughs> girls were still educated in the crafts of home and child raising so there was gender bias even though yeah. everybody had to mandatory had to go to school but the curriculum was different for girls and boys um yeah. anyway they both of them everybody was taught to read and write women were taught to be involved in religion uh, because there are paintings of women presiding over religious ceremonies but there is no reference to female priests which means mm. that women even though they were taught stuff their duty was still uh, more of following Light orders person. Uh, yeah yeah they learned all the rules and stuff their roles were more doing whatever was told to them yeah so uh, the last remaining one is incas of course it's the same the royal classes uh, and a few specially chosen individuals from provinces of the empire were sent to schools run by amautas which were wise men and uh, this system is is similar to because the amautas especially is a class of wise men similar to the bards of great britain the bards children and druids yes yeah <laughs> this is i know from uh, my readings of asterix yep <laughs> <laughs> i i was thinking of cacophonix and i was like i think you mean getifix <laughs> no <laughs> Uh, All of my history is viewed through this lens. 
mine as well anyway uh, they included the illustrious philosophers poets and priests actually it's not just mm. <laughs> and uh, they kept the oral history of the incas alive by imparting mm. the knowledge uh, the culture history the customs traditions of the kingdom that they mm. lived in and the amautas they largely interested this education on they picked royal blood and as well as young members of uh, cultures that they conquered so, so it's a form yeah. of spreading control almost. exactly yes and then ah, like the romans did they they would take a, a local chief and they would educate the chief in the ways of uh, civilized rome yes and, then, and not just that yeah. the official language of the empire was quechua this is mm. is also similar to what the romans did with uh, promoting latin throughout europe yeah because it was done more for political reasons than educational but yeah. somehow it kind of uniform like resulted in uh, some uniformity or standardization of uh, yeah. education yeah like there's an official language and yeah yeah so quechua was the language of the empire or was pr- promoted so it ensured that the general population or everybody spoke this one language or at least knowledge was transferred in this one language so that's about uh, americas the furthest back i went in the middle east was 2000 bc mm-hmm. uh, 2000 bc mesopotamia and uh, the early system of cuneiform is that how you pronounce it cuneiform yeah cuneiform okay <laughs> so this system it took many years to master and uh, only a limited number of individuals were hired as scribes uh, who were trained to read and write this particular system of writing yeah. and uh, in particular only royal offspring and sons of the rich uh, so they were keeping it sort of in the elite yes yeah and the jobs they got were as physicians and temple administrators uh mm. after learning to read and write and so that's how it it kept like it progressed so most boys were taught their father's trade or yep. ap- ap- apprenticed later on to learn that trade while girls stayed at home and learned <laughs> housekeeping and cooking <laughs> from their mothers yep. and how to look after young children but later on when there the uh, syllabic script developed somewhat similar to the modern script uh yeah yeah that's when literacy became more widespread yeah and uh more of the mesopotamian population became literate there exists an old sumerian proverb which is he who would excel in the school of the scribes must rise with the dawn so <laughs> so if the early bird gets the worm in it exactly yes <laughs> <laughs> so from from there there a whole social class of scribes emerged uh, who were mostly employed in agriculture as personal secretaries <laughs> to the noble class or as lawyers and such so new professions developed following the the modern script and uh, women as well as men learned to read and write and because of this also resulted in the world's oldest or at least the first library as we know it mm. um uh, massive archives of texts were recovered from uh, the old Babel- babylonian uh, schools known as edubas mm. and the epic of gilgamesh which is an epic poem from ancient mesopotamia is among the earliest known works of literary fiction is also one yeah. of the books that was found in this library it and sort also of defined everything that came after it gilgamesh did mm-hmm. and uh, vocabularies grammar and uh, interlinear translations were compiled for the use of students as well as commentaries on older texts and explanation of obscure words and phrases so that mm. this resulted in a need for all books <laughs> to be kept in one place and that's where yeah. we came up with this concept of library and then moving on to the neo assyrian empire ashur banipal in this is around 700 bc he collected uh, this cuneiform texts from all over mesopotamia and especially babylon babylonia and uh, well, i forgot the name of this library is nineveh which is nineveh oh that's how you you pronounce it okay i mean i've said it's nineveh but i don't think i've ever actually heard it out loud <laughs> Okay. <laughs> so you may be right. No. I may have miscorrected you there. <laughs> Or maybe the the in the Latin that's how it's written so that's the latinized uh, version of the pronunciation I, I of mean, it. I mean you say this but I called Hermione Granger her my own Granger for quite some time. So oh. Yes. <laughs> you may be right Wait. because I was going Roman instead of Greek. <laughs> <laughs> I I pronounced it Hermione in my head I I read it as Hermione. Till, until i watched the movies so you're right yeah but the correct pronunciation is nainawa from uh, the arabic uh, which means palace of fish or fish palace because <laughs> nine is fish so that's that's how the name for the place that's brilliant came. the uh, library of the fish palace <laughs> <laughs> 
So the first systematically organized library in the ancient Middle East, perhaps in the world as well, which survives in part even today, is uh, the library of Nineveh. Uh, and that was established by Ashur Banipal, the king of the Neo-Assyrian Empire, who himself was a scholar in uh, oil divination. <laughs> this is something that I, that I did <laughs> not know of. Oil divination, which is a first for me, as well as mathematics, reading and writing. Uh, mm. As well as the usual uh, stuff like horsemanship, hunting, uh, chariotry, soldierliness, craftsmanship <laughs> and royal decorum. <laughs> as these were the subjects that were taught to the noble class at the time. Mm. Uh, so yeah, this guy was like, uh, we need a library, guys. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we so got I'm, a lot of stuff written down. <laughs> yeah, so I'm going to collect uh, books and stuff from all over uh, the, my empire. And uh, let's uh, put it in one place so that people can go and young kids can go and read. So that's uh, the f- ancient library. That's cool. Uh, moving to slightly further east uh, further west to ancient egypt uh, mm. the educated elite scribes the same same story <laughs> across yeah. all uh, it's it's the same yeah it was all it was like um a couple of the other civilizations we've mentioned it's all tied up in yeah um, so not just the elites but also religion the re- okay the religion angle as of now i it's i haven't uh, exactly addressed it so far i've been just going with yeah the rich yeah <laughs> only the rich uh, learn to read and write while the poor well i think there's i think there's an element of the people who got powerful jobs in temples particularly in egypt were also the children of the rich yeah. so it's sort of it's another angle of that elitism yes not that that happens today anywhere <laughs> <coughs> Eaten. uh but to the point that the literacy rate in uh, fire f- is it fire ironic <laughs> thank you <laughs> you're welcome (laughs) Uh, pharaonic yeah pharaonic egypt uh the literacy rate from the third to first million bc millennium bc they have estimated is uh five in thousand that's Mm. uh in in the percentage form that's that's less than 0.5 percent that's that's yeah that's uh, in comparison to (laughs) yeah it it is low in comparison to (laughs) other civilizations at at the time it's it's bad five in a thousand can read so it's like they restricted it to the absolute high class. Uh, yeah. I don't, I, I'm not, I don't know if it, it kind of feels like it was done on purpose, but I don't know. Oh, um, I feel like it was absolutely done on purpose. <laughs> yeah. People be- who have power and they found another way of having power over people do not give up power easily. Yeah. But then this is even like, this is much far back in comparison to Ashur, uh, you know, Ashur Banipal, who I just said yeah. was more open, like uh, he, he constructed a library and, and stuff to promote. So, yeah. But this is, yeah, this is further back. So I guess... This uh, is an entire ruling class that's that's gone. Yeah. Well, also, I mean, the thing you have to remember about Egypt is their rulers believed that they were gods. Hmm. They were gods on earth and they would, you know, uh, they were uh, literal representations of the sun god. Well, some of them, I mean, it's it's far more complicated. Yeah. I can, I can, I can hear two of my friends who, who, one who is an Egyptologist and one who has a real passion for Egyptology. Uh, I can hear <laughs> their voices in my head going, don't talk about it. You don't know what you're saying. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. I, I'm not going to um, talk about it at all. Because the only thing I know about <laughs> Egypt is the uh, is is the sun god called Ra. Have you watched Stargate? No, I just okay. I just I I'll just, get you just watching Stargate. You'll pick it up in English. Uh, <laughs> english in high school where we mm. learn about the story of ra and i don't even remember the story anymore i just remember that the ra, ra was the sun god <laughs> the uh, thing about egyptian stories about their gods is they're always way darker than the ones we learned in school they're always way ruder you know it you sort of look at ancient gods and you look at the greek gods and 90 percent of things that happened in the ancient greek world were because zeus slept with everything that moved yes i think um, <laughs> i think it, it was you who mentioned this or i've read something similar Miller on it, it social was media. Me. It was you. <laughs> it was probably. But yeah. It's like most but, of um, my uh, <laughs> uh, West, yeah. Western, whatever happened west of Indus, <laughs> yeah. uh, it, it comes from you. You are my source. <laughs> <laughs> also because I never shut up about it. <laughs> <laughs> but it's the same for me as well. Like for, for me, it's I'm sure I'm the source for daily source of stuff mm. that comes east of Indus. So <laughs> yeah, I, I take that credit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
coming to Moving on. <laughs> ancient is israel uh the torah uh, this is also yeah. uh this is is it's it was confusing for me as to what exactly is the torah it just says fundamental religious text but then uh, when i looked more into it is also something that is called that people used to refer to the first five books of the hebrew bible uh yeah I'm I'm sorry I I don't really <laughs> like my knowledge of the western religions is not uh, my, uh, kind of poor. <laughs> I <laughs> so I, don't I have to... a similar issue in some ways because ah, okay. um because I don't want I'm to make any controversial statements. But Got from it. what I remember <laughs> I'm grew up atheist but I went to vacational bible school because there was nothing else to do in Biddulph in the summer. Um <laughs> So what I remember is the the Torah is the Jewish holy book mm-hmm. and the Old Testament of the Bible is based on what is in the Torah mm. and the New Testament of the Bible is everything that happened after Jesus. Got it. Okay. So okay that's in, then then Including that makes Jesus. sense uh <laughs> because the the Torah includes commands to read learn teach and write the torah of course mm-hmm. uh, so it of obviously requires re- literacy and in 64 AD the high priest in ancient israel caused schools to be opened emphasis was placed on developing good memory skills uh, mm. in addition to oral repetition but despite this <laughs> uh, literacy rate was still about 3% that's uh, mm. it, it's better than 0.5% of course but uh, still yeah. 3 out of 100 is still bad but i guess it's it was getting better i guess <laughs> yeah and then from there we uh, there's a massive jump because then there's the islamic civilization between the 7th to 19th centuries that overtook yeah. the middle east the first schools were in 622 ad yeah. in madina in, which is a city now in saudi arabia uh, schooling as at first was in the mosques or masjids yeah. uh, in arabic as they call it in, in urdu as well and there but then schools became separate from uh, mosques and mm. they were called madrasas in india schools that teach in urdu medium are mm. uh, even today are called madrasas it, i would say it, it's similar to i don't know it i think it's a remainder from from the colonial times when yeah. somehow we used to call schools that are taught in the english medium as convents uh, because it yeah. was the <laughs> missionaries because who because ran the in, similarly in the in the christian in christendom if you will yeah. it, it also started off as religious schools and then they separated into yeah, more secular yeah, schooling yeah yeah exactly and so that's how it's like uh, the schools that are uh, run by mosques or funded by mosques uh, or or the uh, islamic religious institutions are called yeah. madrasas and it, it's similar on the on the christian side they were called convents or they are still called convents in some parts mm. of india anyway so uh, the first separate school separate from the mosque it was the nizamia school and it was mm. built in 10 1066 in baghdad ah, a momentous year for my country for different reasons really 1066 yes. is it it's a, i don't really have norman... anything of note for 1066 <laughs> in my but what happened in 1066 in your country um, is it a long norman story or french <laughs> uh, well briefly the norman french invaded william the conqueror took over mm-hmm. and Harold Godwinson got hit in the in the eye with an arrow. Oh. There's a lot more to it than that, but like our modern sort of the modern government is based on that feudal system that came in after that. Wow, wow. So 1066 was a busy year in it in, was, in world history. Yeah. Uh. Quite a lot happened. Most of it was on fire. Basically, a lot of England was on fire. Okay. But a school got built in Baghdad. <laughs> Meanwhile, Meanwhile, yes. <laughs> So children started school from the age of 6 with free tuition and uh, the Quran claims that Muslims should learn to read write and explore the universe uh, mm. and thus education and schooling sprang up in ancient Muslim societies so that's the first form of uh, in, in, at least in the Islamic world Islamic civilization yeah. the first schooling uh, culture came from simultaneously during the 6th and 7th centuries in i think in the Sasan Sas- going to butcher this sassanid empire i'm <laughs> this is no nope, uh, that's that's exactly right sassanid no thank you this is the academic academy of gundishapur and subsequently a muslim center of learning this offered a uh, training in medicine philosophy theology and science and the faculty were versed not only in zoroastrian and persian traditions but in greek and indian learning as well this is i'll i'll quickly move on to uh, like while we are, while i am still on baghdad the house of wisdom 
in Baghdad was a library and mm. uh, it was a translation and education center between 9 and 13 centuries like there are works on astrology mathematics agriculture medicine and philosophy philosophy that were translated and it was drawing on persian indian and greek texts including those of this is going to be a long list pythagoras plato mm-hmm. aristotle hippocrates is it euclid oculid is it euclid <laughs> <laughs> it's, Pla- it's plato <laughs> i can't even remember the hippocrates and euclid is right thank you <laughs> <laughs> uh, totally don't know most of these from playing seven wonders plotinus <laughs> galen and thankfully indian <laughs> Yeah, Indian greats, Sushruta, Charaka, Aryabhata and Brahmagupta. So mm-hmm. the works of these scholars were accumulated and a great collection of knowledge in the world was built. So this is another big library in Baghdad. The house was an unrivaled center for the study of humanities and sciences, including mathematics, astronomy, medicine, chemistry, zoology and geography. And I would also want to think of this, like this is where algebra was born. Uh, because algebra yeah. itself is uh, comes from aljabir which is like the study of math where you find what is unknown yeah because algebra famously is <laughs> the branch of math where we find x we write an equation and we solve for x <laughs> and this is also where i feel like baghdad became like the place where scholars from all over the world came to demonstrate uh, their knowledge uh, yeah. because there existed other such cities in other civilizations as well but where baghdad won was they they rewarded people uh, to come and uh, uh, get, deliver lectures uh, yeah. give they, the, come, they, they they invited people they invited people not, not just that they there were there was monetary uh, Prizes? there was that added uh, incentive incentive yes for people be, to come and deliver lectures and seminars there they didn't even have to send out <laughs> people to yeah. go uh collect information and come back it just people just came to baghdad if you wanted to if you wanted to learn that was the place to be yeah uh, yeah and baghdad was already known as the world's richest city and center for intellectual development at the time and it had a population of over a million apparently it was the largest city at the time but i also feel like baghdad somehow became uh the connection for the east and the western civilizations yeah because what uh, to give you an example what we call the arabic numerals today the number number system that we use and the decimal system and everything we just we somehow we call it the arabic but if you trace it back it comes from india right so yeah. indian mathematicians like i just said sushruta and like aryabhata and brahmagupta so texts from them or they themselves might have traveled to baghdad and then european uh, scholars who visited baghdad took it and spread it across europe but they yeah. said that we got it from arabia or baghdad yeah. so it spread as the arabic system and it, i'm sure it is similar the other way around as well yeah uh, knowledge that we we think came from arabia may have come from europe but for us it came from baghdad Yeah. So so no so Baghdad basically was like that knowledge transfer It's point. It's like a, a knowledge hub. Yeah. Yeah. Baghdad in that times was that one place where everybody from all over the world came. So you're competing basically with yeah. the world's best uh to yeah. like you're competing but you're also sharing knowledge. Yeah. It's really sort of cosmopolitan. Yeah. And they are inviting people to come and share knowledge and the more you share the more you you benefit personally as well. as well as yeah. the city and the civilization as a whole benefits yeah. so it's like a win win for everyone that's what i wanted to <laughs> that was where i was getting at uh, but anyway enough of praising <laughs> that one city uh, in the 9th century uh, bimaristan bimaristan i am i'm assuming is like bimar in hindi and urdu as well refers to somebody who is sick hmm. so bimaristan would be obviously a medical school were formed in ah. the medieval islamic world where medical diplomas were issued to students of uh, islamic medicine who were qualified to be practicing uh, doctors of medicine also coming to egypt uh, 9th century as well uh, al azhar university was founded in cairo yeah. uh, which was a uh, jamia jamia as well in arabic also again uh, in urdu it refers to university mm. um, and uh, it offered a variety of postgraduate degrees uh, it had a madrasa a theological seminary and taught mm. islamic law Isla- islamic jurisprudence arabic grammar astronomy or 
everything that uh, in islamic uh, tradition was considered as uh, stuff that you needed to know so yeah. islamic astronomy islamic philosophy and all that and to end it end uh, under the ottoman empire the towns of bursa and edirne edirne is also called uh, adrianopolis or something like that i just yeah, yeah. after uh, uh um, i i didn't know i mean name? i know of adrian name. after adrian it's literally in the name oh, adrianopolis okay. <laughs> oh <laughs> but uh, sorry yeah I've, no, I've is, got no brain this week is the the local term or the term that <laughs> the the name that they use today uh, yeah the two cities in uh turkey became the major centers of learning in under the mm. or during the ottoman empire so yeah that is that that's it i had about uh, the middle east i i think i started from the second millennium bc and mm. uh, i covered i tried to cover most of it uh, but uh, yeah that's about it huge centers of learning yeah 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 even damascus uh, yeah I mean, it does not compare to Baghdad because Damascus at the time had just had uh, a school of astronomy, I think. Yeah. Uh, but from childhood memory, because <laughs> that was one fact I remember when I think of Damascus, it is considered the oldest uh, continuous living city city in the world or something like mm. of the sort because that that was a, a fun trivia fact i love to talk about when i was a kid which is the oldest <laughs> city in the world it's like damascus <laughs> i didn't know where damascus was or anything but uh, i just know that knew that fact wait are we in a commercial of course we are don't you hear the music oh okay then uh let's do this listening to an episode of TLDR History is Weird, which you probably know since you're listening to it. If you're enjoying this, please subscribe to the podcast so that you have easier access to our future episodes. You can find us on Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcast app. If you're listening on iTunes, please rate us and leave us a review. You have no idea how much of those things help. And feedback. We love getting feedback. Yes, you can find us on Instagram where we post images related to each episode along with little glimpses behind the microphone. Our handle is at TLDR History is Weird Pod. When he's not podcasting, you can find Naveen vlogging and sketching mostly on his YouTube channel these days. Also check out Lauren's website and Patreon page. The links as usual are in the description of this episode. Her books live on Amazon and Smashwords. Make sure you stick around till the end of the episode for the question of the week. We pick one lucky listener and award them the title of Weirdling of the Week. Weirdling, Weirdling of, of the Week. The week. And also answer your questions, if any, at the end of the episode, or try to, anyway. Uh, how, how long is this commercial? Almost done. Uh, well, what are we waiting for? For the song to finish, Weirdo. Uh-uh, call me Weirdodo. No. <laughs> <laughs> So in ancient Greece, uh, most education was private, mm-hmm. uh, except in Sparta, who I'll get to in a minute, because they were... This the... is Sparta! <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay. my, I was looking at them the other day, because I'm going through the stuff in my office, and I used to stick pictures in my um, file folders for school, and I don't even know where I got it. It's probably one... It's an early meme, I think, and it's one of those cleaning signs, you know, the yellow ones, and there's a guy tripping over, and it said, uh, caution... And someone had c- covered up wet floor and said, Caution, this is Sparta. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, because ancient Greece was a, it's a city-state nation. So they were very much separate, the cities. Hmm. And they didn't get on. <laughs> okay. Necessarily all the time. Sometimes you'd have you have things where people call for aid from another city state, but um, in most of them, the education was private mm. um, during the fourth and fifth century BC, particularly. Every male would have two years military training, okay. and then they'd go. You know, they go through the school system before that. The state didn't do much at all apart from this military training. Mm. So, like the the modern academy system, uh, anyone could open a school, mm. and they could decide that. The curriculum. So what parents would do is they'd look around at schools in their area and they go, "Well, I want my kid to learn this, okay, uh, and I have this much money because you know it was all paid for." So even poor parents sent their sons to schools for at least a few years, uh, from around the age of seven until fourteen, and they'd learn. Yeah, there it is. I heard that as well. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty near. Um, <laughs> yeah, so we got hit by lightning. 
I'm going to tell you the story. When I was a teenager, and we'd just gone to bed, and we were, we'd just finished, we were watching C- uh, CSI, I think. Mm-hmm. We just went to bed, and there was this huge boom. And like It just sounded like something had exploded in the house. And we went outside, and we'd, we'd had cable for a while, but we hadn't taken the aerial off the house, so it hit the aerial. And uh, we went back inside, everything smelled of, like, oh, aerosol, like the atmosphere smell that you get. Ozone. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the TV was fried. Because it hit the aerial and we still had plugged in for some reason. And the DVD player, the DVD had melted in the DVD player. Wow. And then over the next like eight years, every piece of electrical equipment that had been plugged in at the time. Yeah. Slowly started, the chips started turning to sand. So uh, there's only <laughs> one piece that, that was one piece of technology that didn't eventually break down. And that's the, the stereo I have in the kitchen. And it wasn't plugged in at the time. So whenever there is a lightning storm now, I'm like, all right, I'm, I'm unplugging my computer. Because <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I need it to be okay, so yeah, that's why I'm like, what? Where is the thunder at? <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> Thor is clearly commenting on our uh, <laughs> on our podcast. Yeah. <laughs> so back to the young Greek students of the past. Uh, they would learn gymnastics, athletics, sports, wrestling, music. Uh, okay. Poetry, drama, history, and literacy. Girls rarely received a formal education, um, mm. although a lot of them learned from stuff at home. Um, so, but they were less literate. Mm. Um, the youngest students would use an alphabet song to learn their alphabet, and then later copy shapes of letters with a stylus on a waxed wooden tablet. Much mm. in the same way that that was how I learned my alphabet was the alphabet song. Yeah. Um, same. So it's interesting. We've been using the same system for like two thousand, three thousand years. Yeah. The Chinese then, did as well, but I'll, I'll come to that yeah, later. I think it's one of those things that it makes sense if you're learning an alphabet is to have that pattern recognition yeah. and that be the basis. Hmm. And also, it's, um, it's easier, right, for young brain, young minds. And also at the time, anybody who was just starting to pick up on trying to read and write yeah. uh, these mnemonic techniques and uh, trying to, you know, memorize through uh, song you know yeah. sing song <laughs> so that it's, it's easier once you remember the tune uh, yeah because it gets in your head and you don't have to focus on it necessarily yeah. it's just there yeah. yeah and also it's easier to connect it's like after this line what comes in if yeah. you want if you forget you just sing sing that uh, f- sing the song really quick yeah. in your head uh, <laughs> and then it comes to you <laughs> I do it I do it as an adult like half the time I forget I'm like what's after what's after oh I seem to really go- struggle with them <laughs> RPQR, uh, PQ, PQRS. Yeah. In the middle is where it gets. <laughs> L-M-N-O-P. Uh, <laughs> so, so yeah. Um, and after the, they finished their schooling, they'd go on to um, learn trades through apprenticeship, mm. um, either with their father or with other tradesmen. Mm. And sort of later on in the Greek world, you started getting them having a, a focus on arts such as drawing and painting and sculpture, okay. which they didn't have in the earlier times. Mm. There was uh, Sparta, on the other hand. Mm. <laughs> um, their focus was really military conquest and might and they really they had this whole thing about um i don't know if you know the story of how they made sure their children were strong Mm. is they they take a a baby okay any newborn and they take them out into the woods and they'd leave them and if they survived i can't remember if it was one night or several nights then they'd cut and when they went out and got them they knew that they were strong enough to raise as spartans so it was really brutal well yeah Um, yeah (laughs) but it was a completely different way of looking at it like if you weren't if you didn't survive you just weren't meant to yeah i think was the was the theory. So their education system was entirely focused on obedience, courage, physical perfection, mm. and it was very harsh discipline. And instead of it being a system where the parents would choose a school that they liked, that they could afford, yeah. everyone went into a military barrack school. Mm. Everyone being all the males. Yeah. Um, the women didn't have any schooling at all. And basically the entire population of Sparta was illiterate. So that was at the same. Was one of the reasons that there was such tensions between the city-states was this difference in education. Mm. and therefore in attitude but elsewhere in the greek world the richest students could continue their education not in a formal setting but by hiring tutors who are known as sophists okay. which we get the word sophistication from oh so yeah. wow. so you're more sophisticated if you've employed a sophist so they teach things like <laughs> rhetoric um speech writing mathematics geography natural history politics logic mm. that kind of thing mm. and then schools of higher education started to appear like the Lyceum which which was founded by Aristotle okay. uh, and the platonic the platonic 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 <laughs> platonic 
Platonic. Platonic Academy. <laughs> platonic. It's weird, isn't it? Because we use it platonic Plato- for other yeah, things. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, now I'm, I'm thinking that also comes from uh, Plato. Uh, yeah. The Plato- okay. So it's just like sophistication. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Okay. So yeah, Pla- Plato... I'm learning uh, the origin hey. of words as well, along with uh, the yeah. history of education on this podcast. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it happens a lot, particularly around the Greek world, because we, you know, a lot of our words for science and philosophy come from the Greek yeah. world. So. Yeah. <laughs> um, so Platonic is is derived from Plato's thoughts on the nature of friendship. Mm. So, <laughs> but yeah, so the the wealthy uh, education system was called the Paideia, and mm-hmm. in the subsequent Roman Empire. Because you have the the Greek Empire and the Roman Empire overlapped, and they sort of influenced each other, particularly their elites and what you know what was seen as being really cool to do, or you know a mark of the wealthy or whatever. So that's why Greek has remained the language of science is because in the Roman Empire, if you were learning things like natural science or ancient history to uh, to them ancient history to any degree, it would be in Greek. Hmm. So we have this this combination of Latin and Greek. Yeah, terms. Yeah. So I'm going to go on a bit of a segue now and tell you about one particular sophist who was called Socrates. Mm. And one of the main, I mean, I'm saying this like I know. <laughs> one of the ways that I know that we learn in uh, in certain academic situations is the Socratic method, mm. which is named after Socrates. And it's sort of a form of cooperative argumentative dialogue so what we used to do a thing where we'd we'd all read a particular research paper Mm. and then we'd take it into a class and we'd all argue various points around it we'd ask questions about it and sort of the group as a whole would learn from that yeah so it it stimulates critical thinking. So yeah, Socrates, his friend Chaerephon visited the Oracle of Delphi, mm. um, who was I don't know if you know about the Oracle of Delphi. Uh I think I I recently uh, I asked the chat about where that word Philadelphia comes from, and uh, ah, Katie okay. might have answered something, and that's where I know I heard the word Delphi. Hmm. So yeah, this particular thing I don't know. Well. Delphi was a, a place in the ancient Greek world. Hmm. Uh, there was a very famous soothsayer who lived there, known as the Oracle of Delphi. And people would go and consult on uh, whether they'd win battles or what path they should choose through life. And and they the Oracle would always give the most criti- uh, cryptic possible answer, which after everything had happened, you could go, oh, well, you could tell that she was right because she said this. <laughs> You're like, actually, that's just really, really clever wording. <laughs> it could go either way. So Chaerephon visited the oracle mm-hmm. and the oracle told him that no man in Greece was wiser than Socrates. And Socrates, presumably suffering from imposter syndrome, as the rest of us did, saw this as a paradox because he was a man in Greece and he knew that there were people who were wiser than him. <laughs> Okay. So he used this, he developed this method of questioning and discussing premises to further his understanding of various different things. But he started with this particular conundrum. Can there be, can the oracle be correct if I know for a fact that there are other people who are wiser than me? Yeah. So we know about the, the formal use of the Socratic method because Plato later wrote plays with Socrates as the curious questioner. Hmm. So he'd set up a situation where someone was giving speeches and Socrates would be essentially heckling. Hmm. <laughs> uh, but heckling in order to understand the truth. Yeah. So again, you're promoting that sort of critical thinking. It's essentially, it's hypothesis elimination. Hmm. So it, it's sort of an external form of deduction. Yeah. Where you question, well, I always think of deduction as you unconsciously question various things that are happening around you. So, but this is externally, so it's out loud. Yeah. But it's a it's a series of questions formulated as tests of logic mm. to discover what their beliefs about a topic are and whether those beliefs are accurate based on the facts. Yeah. And some of this way of looking at things came down through the Roman education system. So, first schools in ancient Rome arose in the mid fourth century BC. Okay. And they were mostly concerned with socialization and a rudimentary education rather than the more sophisticated education that they had in Greece at the time. Mm-hmm. They had a very low literacy rate for the for at least the first century of them having schools. By the second century BC, private schools really started to pop up everywhere in Rome. Mm. And then formal schools were established, which served paying students. So again, it's sort of education is... It's not as specifically controlled by the elite like Egypt, where you could only be a scribe if you were essentially royal or yeah. almost royal. Yeah. 
but it is you have to be wealthy in order to get educated Mm. both boys and girls were educated but not necessarily in the same schools so you might have a boys school and and a girls school oh okay which it, which is the system that my grandparents had. And it just changed by the time my mum and my uncle went to school, um, I think. And often you see in, in England, you see old school buildings that have been reused and you see carved above the entrance to different parts of the school is this is the boys' entrance, this is the girls' entrance. Wow. Um, and then you progress through it in tiers. So, so you know how we have like year one, year two, year three, year four, the Americans have the grade system. It's kind of like that. But instead of being based on the age you are, when you hit a certain le- level of ability, you'd move on puppeteer yeah. in the Roman world. Mm. But only the Roman elite would expect a complete formal education, although there was, there was an emphasis on talent. So if you had a student with ingenium or the inborn instinct for learning, mm. then someone might sponsor them through. So in that way, like most people of who are poorer picked up vocational skills as they went, so tradesmen and, and farmers. But if you had a student who was obviously naturally very good at stuff, you would have someone who was essentially their patron mm. and they would get them through the school system. Uh, yeah, and this sort of... This system of patronage, but there's also this system of the tier, the tiers and the separate male and female learning mm. that laid the basis for the medieval school system in Europe mm. because the Roman Catholic Church spread their method. Yeah, yeah. And most of Europe was Roman Catholic for a very long time. Mm. Uh, I don't know if I want to tell you about Timbuktu first. No, I'll do Timbuktu in the next half. Okay. So I think this, this, is, a, this is a good point to take take a break yep a good time to wrap up episode one i think yes episode one episode nine yeah the first part it's late so anyway uh we'll, we'll continue from where we just stopped paused next week <laughs> next week yeah see you next yeah. saturday thank you for tuning in keep it weird yes thank you keep keep it weird <laughs> bye <laughs> bye <laughs>